You are listening to the Salty Witches Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Austin. Of course, we're here with Mike, and we have a very illustrious and very special guest today. We have Dr. Cindy Brannan, who is the author of so many lovely books on Hecate. We have Keeping Her Keys, Entering Hecate's Garden, uh, your most recent one, Entering Hecate's Cave. I'm literally looking at that on our shelf right now. Uh, We record the podcast in our shop. And then you also have uh, True Magic as well, and you've done a whole slew of like like uh pathos blogs and you have your own just thing and it's just lovely and i can just tell you right now i am fan girling fanboying fan they theming <laughs> fan non-binarying i am just freaking out just a little bit right now and i'm so excited so thank you so much cindy for being on the podcast with us i will probably drop into my old habit of calling anyone with a phd doctor just because that's how I was trained in undergrad school. So, so welcome, and thank you so much for being here. Wow, I mean, what a, what a wonderful introduction. I feel so welcome. So you are welcome, and I feel welcome. And I'm really excited about our chat. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited, too. We, we've done an episode on Hecate before. Both Mike and I are Hecate devotees. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike's been working and walking with Hecate for... God, since he could, it's been like it's been about thirty years now. About thirty years, yeah. and um, I Hecate was always very prevalent around me as a kid because my nonna, my great grandmother, she worked with uh, Hecate um, as part of the family tradition, and so when I was growing up and I was learning, <laughs> she was like, "Yeah, you should work with her." And I was like, "No, I don't want to be a mainstream Greco-Roman follower. I need something edgy." So of course, edgy teenage Austin decided to work with the Morgan. Um, and <laughs> you and everybody else back then. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, 13 years in, I was like, Ooh, this is a lot of chaos. I'm trying to graduate from my undergrad and I, I, I need a little bit stability. And so Mike and I, uh, got together. We, uh, went on a first date. He introduced me to Hecate. Um, we, we, sh- we've shared, uh, the story of me having my first deep non with Hecate. We went and we buried the offerings in a cemetery, uh, obviously respectfully. We left and then every dog in the, the, the neighborhood just started howling and going off. And I was like, cool, like it. Uh, this is just who I am now, I guess. <laughs> so we are going to be centering a lot around Hecate and then anything else you want to join in on, uh, Cindy, you're more than welcome to, um, so first, uh, let's talk Hecate. You've shared in your books and your podcast, uh, but what is your first initial connection to Hecate? I think for me, you know, being of a certain age and kind of going back to the 90s, the early 90s, and um, kind of discovering Artemis first. I discovered Artemis came to me quite Synchronously, um, I found a poem that was called The Ode to Cynthia by uh, Ben Johnson, who was a contemporary of Shakespeare's. Hmm. And I was like, Ode to Cynthia, that's me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it opened up, it just led me to Artemis. And so I was always an Artemis gal. Um, And then kind of, I mean, if you know kind of what I would say, like the goddess world was in the 90s, there was a lot of ISIS. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Morrigan was around, um, but there wasn't like Hecate was very much at the fringe. Hecate was very much seen like as a like like 
the liminal kind of she was over here and she was a very kind of intimidating spirit you know not someone that you would want to get involved with necessarily so i was aware of hecate but not in any i didn't feel a close connection to to her at the time you know i was very much artemis persephone um and you know very into like feminist thought about the goddesses you know feminist reclaiming of the goddesses mm -hmm. and you know like on those space early spaces like Paganspace.net. I don't know if any of you were. Yeah. Space oh, yeah. Witch Fox. Yes, I, I was just talking. Oh, Witch Fox. Yes, I was just talking with Scrolling and be like, is there something going on in my neighborhood? Yeah. <laughs> As a little teenager, I was scrolling through, and that's how I found my first coven, actually. Me too. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is interesting. I obviously didn't join until I was an adult, but yes, mm -hmm. Witch Fox. Ah, gone are the days. So I was aware of Hecate, but not, like I said, and I also do a lot of work with, um, I guess, who I would call ancestors of spirit, mm -hmm. you know, like historical figures mm -hmm. who I feel really deep, deeply connected to. And I would really be close to them in terms of like, you know, guidance and almost like not a like not like a reverence like for Hecate, but like a deep connection mm -hmm. to these spirits. So I would have like I had a kind of a coterie of those type of spirits. So I had like a really rich life in terms of, you know, connecting with spirits of different kinds. And then um, I was at a really difficult place, difficult crossroads at my, in my life and had this really profound experience late at night where I heard this voice speak to me as I was folding laundry of all things. And it just said, it's time. And I knew like even talking about it today, and I've told this story, I don't know how many times, but even talking about today, I get like the full body goosies. Yeah. yeah. I, knew, <laughs> I knew it was Hecate, even though I had had no, like I had not been trying to connect with her. Kind of the, the groups, you know, I was involved with at the time weren't Hecate focused at all. Um, and my, like I said, my own spiritual path was kind of this, blend of like Artemis and Persephone and, uh, you know, different historical women spirits that I felt really close to. So it was really, it was a come to Hecate moment. And I feel like the two of you may have had a come to Hecate moment. Uh -huh. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I think anyone who's been, been on their path for, for, it doesn't even have to be a minute. You have those come to Hecate moments when you're, and for, for me, it was like the darkest time of my life. And uh, she, she'd always been there and my parents had just gotten a divorce. I had finished school. I had to quickly move out of my house because my parents were splitting up. And so I moved in with, with Mike and we just kind of had this moment. And I just had this moment where I was just like, where is the Morrigan? I'm not feeling her. She's not here. And I felt abandoned. And lo and behold, here comes this tightness with a large torch and just this sense of like, okay, we got shit to do. Like, stop crying, feel your fills, but like, let's go, you know? Yeah. And I just, okay, and just been there ever since. So those come to Hecate moments are really awesome. I love them. And when you have one, like, you know it. Yeah, there's yeah. like you know no- it in a way that it's really like, because you've had one, like we can kind of, we have that connection, but to describe it to someone who hasn't, like we don't have the right words. To... No, mm -hmm. there's no right words. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that is very true. Yeah. 
like you know it to like you know it in your soul like you know it in every part of your body like you know it in your cells like when yeah. people are like how do i know if it's hecate and it's like well i think there's many different ways to kind of engage with working with hecate or any mm -hmm. deity or any spirit mm -hmm. and you know there is this kind of experiential level when you have a come to hecate moment yeah. And then there are like the ways, you know, that might be more performative. You might do ceremonies and rituals. You might read a lot. You know, there's many different ways. And but but there's kind of like there is this little sacred space that exists when we are at our lowest and something in us cracks. And it's like that darkness inside of us. It almost like it it it's I don't know how to describe it. It's like we are in such a dark place. And I mean dark in terms of like dysfunction, distress, despair, like not the good dark, the, yeah. you know, the unsettling dark. Well, it's it's good in the sense like we need it to, yeah. to heal. But I mean, you know, it's not the not the happy dark. Um, that there's like something that cracks open in like our ego or our surface self and that force that is Hecate like it's like it she becomes something that we can be conscious of mm -hmm. yes yes like you know it's not that she wasn't ever there it's like there is like our deeper self what's you know the unconscious and all yeah. of that and it's yeah. like but we have so much that we do up here to kind of deny our own interior darkness that when that cracks and it's like we can be open to that really beautiful experience. And I think the Morgan is very similar, um, very, very similar. Um, and I do like I've had a lot of like your, your story is really familiar to me because I've heard I have never had anything but respect and admiration for the Morgan, but never that kind of like come to the Morgan moment. Although mm -hmm. I've had many people close to me who have had those moments. Yeah. Um, and I do think that there is kind of a there's a there they are both goddesses who can really help us to heal like our brokenness and our shadow side and help us to, for those of us who practice magic um, as well, it, you know, it's like they can help us understand that the world is really complex. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the easiest way that I can describe the, the more uh, working with the Morgan was the Morgan taught me how to fight. Uh, Hecate is very much when to, Yes. Oh, I love that. That's so true. Yes. It's the wisdom. Hecate is about wisdom. Yes. I, I found. Yeah. Most definitely. I mean, I, I was, I had some trauma in my life growing up. I mean, who didn't? But um, with, with that, it was very much, I didn't stick up for myself. I wasn't the type of person. I mean, I grew up in Utah. It's a little gay witchling. And uh, I, like, it was hard. And so I had to learn how to fight. And when Mike met me, and that's all I was, was just a big ball of anger. Just a big ball of anger, ready to lop someone's head off at the slightest glance. And so finally, when I decided to put down my sword and take up the torch, I realized I don't always have to act in anger. There are times where even if someone has hurt you or upset you, you can actually react with compassion because that's going to be best for you. And so Hecate most definitely is the wisdom. And it is, yes, I'm so glad that we, I love that. 
So <laughs> I think, you know, I, just to kind of build on that, I think Morgan teaches us how to have a strong back. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yep. Most definitely. Um, and I think what Hecate can offer is you have a strong back and an open, soft front. Yes. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. Oh, this is such a good conversation. You know, and, and that you're open to the world and all the beauty that it offers. You're not so ready, you know, to fight all the time. Yeah. You're not, you're not armored up to the teeth all the time. Right. Because you know your own strength. Exactly. Like you know you'll be okay. Exactly. Well, I, I find Hecate in talking about, you know, the, the, the energies of these, these two goddesses, you know, the archetypal energies that they, they, you know, kind of represent and what they can do for us in practice. Um, you know, to add to, to some of that, I find that Hecate is also has been is is for the majority of people I've I've talked to, she's very good at helping us learn not only, you know, when to fight maybe or, you know, helping us to to remember to be strong and yet also open. But um but there's something there's an energy about her, I think, that um she also has the ability to help us realize the value of those difficulties. Right. She's, yes. She she helps us, I think, to understand that, you know, like life isn't always going to be perfect. Life isn't always going to flow the way that maybe you ideally want it to. But but there's a value in each of these challenges. You know, there there's something that can be gained, a positive that can come from from even even traumatic situations, mm-hmm. you know, seriously traumatic situations. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I love that about her. For me, that's that's always been one of her uh, strongest uh, healing yeah. qualities. Definitely. I hundred percent agree. And I, you know, it's like, she shows us there's, I forget who said this, but it's, it's like this quote, it's like Hecate's darkness is so vast Mm -hmm. that she can embrace our own darkness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's that sense of whoever you are, it's okay. Yeah. And for me personally, I would say, you know, just building on what you said, Mike, it's this whole learning to trust, mm-hmm. you know, in, in terms of like, a like I really had, um, you know, struggled with like an insecure attachment style because mm-hmm. like you said, we've all had trauma. It all has consequences. Um, and for me, you know, I had difficulty trusting others or myself and mm-hmm. yeah, the, the greatest like key that Hecate has helped me unlock is like to trust in myself, to trust in the universe. Like, like you were saying, to trust in these difficulties, these traumas, and when we're invalidated and so on. And like you said, you were a little gay witchling in Utah. I grew up in a very conservative uh, religious family in a very conservative town. Um, and so there was a lot of othering that went on. Mm. And, and then it's like Hecate says, kind of has taught me personally that that's that's my journey like that's mm-hmm. who i am i am not meant to be in the middle and to, you know to be in the mainstream that's not so if fighting against that is like the ultimate waste of time waste of energy you know because yeah. you weren't put i don't feel i was put here on the earth to be like popular or in the mainstream or you know do any of those kind of things so for me it's been about like trusting what I sometimes call it like my soul code or my mission, but that sounds a little bit too, I don't know what the word is. You know, it sounds too like yeah. highfalutin for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I just like, I feel like what the, I, I will say what the fates, what the Mariah have woven for me mm-hmm. to be a- aligned with that. And I think that for me is what Hecate has really shown me. 
like and you know and it's not to say like we don't sometimes really like fuck things up and you know go against our natural like kind of what the fates have woven for us what that thread holds mm -hmm. um but it's to say like you know like when you have a come to hecate moment you know it and when you are attuned to your thread you know it yeah and i think that's another part of what hecate has really shown me personally i i love that yeah. i love that i agree with that 100 percent. when you're when you're aligned with that thread it very much is like it's that sense of like oh it doesn't always have to be a struggle struggle is going to happen but you know if i just continue doing what i'm supposed to do what i know i'm supposed to do things will be a little bit easier there will be a sense of peace i like yeah. that which actually kind of leads me into my next question uh so some people come to the craft looking for a quick fix via magic uh, you know a lot of people want to do a lot of spiritual bypassing instead of actually mourning the loss of a loved one they want to do a cord cutting or something like that you know uh so you have a phd in psychology right so could you share with us how you approach that with students or individuals who come to you looking for that quick fix because we get that a lot in the shop and as teachers and i always want to hear other people's stances on that well this is such a rich question isn't it mm -hmm. <laughs> I, like, I just love this question because it's like a big juicy yeah, there's a, there's a lot of pieces to that. You know what I mean? There's so much to it. Like it's like a whole, it's like a Hecate supper. Like there's just so many components. And there you go. <laughs> we will die. You know what I mean? Like it's just, we're doing this big uh, year long project, um, really going deep into the components of Hecate supper. So I'm very much, I have like the Hecate supper on my mind. I'd love to talk. If you want to talk more about that later on, we can talk oh, about absolutely, that. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. But um. This th so I, I want to say this. So if someone is watching or listening and they're just getting started and they're kind of at that phase of curiosity, they want to get a candle and light a candle and, you know, maybe do a little spell or have a, have a bay leaf and do something with a bay leaf. I think that's beautiful. I'm not here to criticize anyone yeah. who is just getting started. Um, you know, hopefully they'll find good uh, resources like your shop, you know, they'll find good resources where it's like, oh, this is how you're starting out. Here's your deck of tarot cards, you know, let's get started. Um, so that I think there's that group where they're just getting started. So kind of the depth and breadth of practicing uh, the type of witchcraft that I practice and teach and write about like that. You're not going to know that when you're just getting started. Yeah. Mm -mm. Right. Because, you know, like, I don't know, I'm not on TikTok and I'm barely on the socials, but, you know, like, I think like if you were trying to do a research today, you know, you would find probably a lot of like reels and so on that mm -hmm. had like really kind of like helpful, like one minute things you could do, which I think that is really great. You got to start somewhere. Yeah. yeah. That being said, I think the issue of spiritual bypassing is a really important one. And I think you know, we need to talk about it more. Yeah. It's, you know, it's one of those, there's a lot of subjects kind of like in the witch world that I don't hear, um, you know, people who are kind of like the thought leaders having conversations about mm -hmm. and spiritual bypassing is definitely on that list. Would the two of you agree with that? I would yes. agree 100%. Yeah. Because spiritual bypassing, when you practice magic, um, you know, that is the idea that, 
you either do a spell for yourself um, and it just automatically kind of does what it's supposed to do. It's wishful thinking, you know, in the, in the coping kind of literature, we would say that's wishful thinking coping. Mm -hmm. So it's not problem focused. It's not emotion focused. You're not dealing with your emotions and it's not um, support seeking really. Well, you're kind of support seeking, but not true support seeking. And it's also not meaning focused. Like you're not trying to find the greater purpose or meaning. You're yeah. doing that wishful thinking. Like if I do this thing, it will solve all my problems. And I think that's something that certainly like for myself, say 30 years ago, I was there. I get it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I think we've all been there, you know. So Yeah, sorry. I interrupted you. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no. I was just I was just saying like if like for me, I look at the practice of magic and ritual and all of those things. Like I look at it as a way to connect and to go deeper. Mhm. Mm um, into ourselves, into the deeper world of, you know, spirits and mm -hmm. plant medicine, you know, and all of that. So I'm not at all a quick fix person anymore, but I remember like 30 years ago, me with my four little candles and my little goddess scarf, you know, spread out on the bedroom floor, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. with my Raven Silver Wolf book, trying to do the thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, for me and I like because I'm, you know, because of the, I'm the age I'm in, like I was getting those books when they first came out, like the Cunningham books, and you know, like mm -hmm. these books, like they were oh new. So, you know, I think spiritual bypassing is just trying to stretch beyond where you're at. It is a type of avoidance coping. I'm going to keep with my coping container for a minute. Mm -hmm. Because it's a type of avoidance coping because all witchcraft, when we do a spell or a ritual, we are trying to solve a problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and they are emotion based. We don't like the way we are feeling. We are stressed because we don't have any money. Um, we are suffering because of childhood trauma. We are in active addiction. Um, you know, some people do more like money spells. That's not really my jam, so I don't really get into it too much. But, mm. but whatever it is, like we do witchcraft because we have a problem. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so I like the coping container because it kind of, you know, when it's coping is about like, how do we cope with a problem? So it's like, but avoidance coping is like when we're just like, I'm just going to get this person, I'm going to pay him a hundred bucks. They're going to do this spell for me and the love of my life is going to manifest mm -hmm. or because those people particularly bother me because I have to have my Facebook page so filtered so they can't comment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then, or it's like, I'm just going to do this thing and you know, all my problems will be resolved. So that's very really like wishful thinking, but it's also avoidance coping because a lot of times at least in my experience, both for myself and what I've seen in others, is like that frantic rush just to solve the problem. Mm. You know, it's very, I would say, like driven by our shadow selves almost. Yeah. yeah. Because the shadow doesn't want us to be like, you know, this is an effing mess. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if we stick with an example of like a financial mess, 
you know, like the shadow's going to be like, oh, just carry a bay leaf in your pocket or, you know, do this, summon this spirit or whatever, and they'll give you all the money you need. Or, yeah, I don't yeah. You know what I mean? Like all that kind of business. Yeah. Um, and then it's like, no, the actual problem is you are irresponsible with money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think that's like I, to link it back to like Hecate and witchcraft. I think that's what Hecate is kind of like. You're doing this spell. You're, you know, you're kind of doing this spell. It's like, I need to pay the mortgage this month and you know like i need to do all of this and and if you really don't spiritual bypass and you're doing this you will kind of have like whether you kind of connect day through the cards or or however if you hear a voice you'll kind of get this thing that says no this is yeah. not the problem mm -hmm. yeah the problem is you're financially irresponsible <laughs> the problem is you spent $400 on a crystal when you should have been saving that $400 for your mortgage payment. Exactly, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, well, we, ha I, I, we have this experience, just a little tangent. There are people who will come in and they'll talk about how they don't have any money in the shop. And it's like, okay, well, whatever. Like, I'm not going to force you to buy anything. But they then ask what crystals are good for money. And then <clears throat> I have mm -hmm. this moment of like, should I be sassy or should I just help them the best I can? Well, and, and I know you, you always default to sassy. I try to not all the time, but yeah. Um, and so then I usually go, well, the best crystal is, uh, saving is account tight. <laughs> and they look at me and they're like, Oh, well, do you have that? And I'm like, no, I'm saying that the money you're going to spend on a crystal to fix your money problems, you should probably just put in your savings account because as much as I wish I could sell you a rock that would then triple quadruple, whatever the money that you just spent on it. I, I can't do that. Rightfully. There's mm -hmm. also people who come in and you can tell they're manic and they just want to spend all their money. And we actually have to like cut them off. We have to be like, yeah, you probably, like, yeah, yeah. You need bills. to you need to pay your bills. So no, yeah, sorry. <laughs> and yeah, and so most definitely, I I agree with that. Where Hecatean magic is, no, this isn't the actual root of the problem. Okay. You you need to solve the root of the problem. And the root of the problem most of the time is an internal one. Well, well, to add to that, I also want to say because this is a personal interaction I've had with Hecate, and I, and I've I like to think that I've matured a bit in recent years at least, but, uh, but when I was very young and just working with her, I, I would very often find myself in that moment where like, I just need the thing and all I can see right now is my need and this is what I believe will be the answer. And on more than one occasion in trying to get, you know, do, to do a working and, you know, calling upon Hecate maybe for assistance in that, you know, which I don't really do much anymore, but, uh, but you know, again, newbie, right? Um, having her actually make it very clear to me that, you know, like I, I am absolutely really, really willing to help you with this. Yes, I can absolutely help you with this, but giving you this quick fix is not going to one, really, it's not going to solve the deeper issue as, as Cindy was just, was, was just explaining, mm -hmm. but also you're not really going to be able to appreciate this help. You're not going to be able to really value the answer that you're given because you're not really doing the work around this situation. You know, it's like giving someone a miracle, you know, like that will certainly improve their life. That'll certainly make everything different for them. But are they going to, from that moment on, be able to really live life differently in the context of the miracle? Mm -hmm. Right. You know, so that's one of the other things I've also found Hecate has been very good for. Again, that, that component of her about wisdom, you know, these kinds of things, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. 
And just to build on what you were saying, it's like it's that intersection of our personal sense of agency or sovereignty mm-hmm. and like, you know, the thread of the Mirai and then Hecate as both guide and sometimes helpmate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like that. That's another triple crossroads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like you said, she may help you with this thing that may kind of pull you further away from your thread. But. I feel like she always has that sense of this is going to boomerang and you're going to snap back into place. Yeah. And, you know, you'll, you'll get it sooner or later. Like Mm -hmm. if you stick with, if you stick with Hecate in the long run, I think you start to get it. Yeah. Yeah. You you start to get it. You start to get like, Oh, this is who I am. You know, I kind of, I live in the in between. Mm -hmm. I'm comfortable in my own skin. You know, I think like, like, if you've really been with Hecate a long time and then you, you do, like you just said, you don't really evoke her or invoke her or even you might talk to her. I talk to her down the daily, yeah, but, you oh, yeah, but, but yeah. it's not like that sense of neediness. It's not like a parent child relationship. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. We, we talk a lot, uh, you know, in, in working with the students that come here, um, you know, whether it be Hecate or, or whomever, you know, whoever the spirit may be, you know, we, we have a lot of conversations around, you know, like deities are not vending machines. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a good um, one. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and and she for sure is, I, I've definitely found that to be the case with her, you know, and she will let you know, um, you know, like, like yeah, I'm, I'm happy to help you, but, you know, when are you going to help yourself, you know? Um, and... Uh, you know, but I also want to add in those moments that she, and this is my experience with her, and I know everybody kind of kind of develops their own relationship with her, but for for me, she has got the best sense of humor. Like when I've I've had those moments with her where I have done something just very human and very stupid, and you know, and I for whatever reason I've appealed to her for help in that moment, and she's you know, and she'll come in and she'll be like, "I'm not going to help you clean this up. You you've got this. You're good." You know, um, but also, aren't you ridiculous? Oh my god, you know. And she's yeah, and I've had those moments with her, and it's always kindness. Like you know, she's not cruel. You know, she's not like making fun of me in those moments. But she's, I think there's a component of her that she can truly appreciate our humanity and. Mm. Um, and she just she just has an amazing sense of humor. She her sense of humor is I agree with that she's a huge sense of uh, an amazing sense of humor and it feels sometimes very dry sometimes like very yeah. English humor <laughs> where she's like <laughs> that was dumb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't you feel dumb right now? And mm-hmm. that's okay that you feel dumb. Let here, come on. Let's 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 figure this out together. Yeah. Um uh, speaking of that, so there's this huge thing that we have in the community here where people are terrified of Hecate, mm. terrified. And it, and I always, they always come in and, you know, these are people who are quote unquote working with the Morrigan or other war deities. And they come in and they're t- scared of Hecate. And there's this part of them that's like, Oh, you're not really working with that war goddess or God then. Okay. Right. But then there's this other part and it's like, why? And so why do you think that people are so terrified of her because all the, yeah she has that brimo epithet she has the uh, 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 an aggressive she can be very uh i don't want to say what, what did mystic mean? malachi call it she's wrathful wrathfully compassionate, compassionate. Yeah. She wrathful has that, compassion. yeah she has that wrathfully compassionate kind of energy sometimes and feel but 
every single time I've come to her with a problem, I, 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 I do get that, like, I'm not going to help you with this because you got this, but I'm sorry you're feeling this way. Right. Do, do, do you, can I, do you need some extra sleep? You know, <laughs> um, so, would you like me to give you some nightmares so you can sort this out in your, in, you know, in the dream world? I find, you know, like that's another one. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then yep. it's like, oh yeah, the nightmares are actually helpful. Once we get to the point that we're like, oh, like she sends nightmares because they help us process mm -hmm. what we're truly terrified of yeah. and in a relatively safe space of the dream world. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then so we can heal. So I think. The nightmare issue is really connected to why people are terrified of Hecate. Okay. That would, that would make sense. That would make sense. Yeah. I, because I, people are terrified of nightmares. Mm -hmm. It's true. Right? I, because we have been so conditioned mm -hmm. that anything that is unsettling and or supernatural is like somehow bad for us. Even those of us who can be, like you said, connecting with the Morrigan or the Lilith is another really popular one. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, but, but there's also the, that weight of conditioning. Like mm -hmm. Hecate is terrifying because like you said, she's Brimo, she's uh, Chrysosandalos, Mm -hmm. You know, she's cardio, uh, what is it? Cardiodiotis, drinking mm -hmm. men, you know, mm -hmm. eating yeah. men's hearts. Um, <laughs> yeah. And even if you don't know kind of all of that historical references, um, there is something about Hecate that is like it causes a vibration. Mm -hmm. It causes the same vibration in us today as it did 2000 years ago when the practitioners wrote the rituals and spells in the Greek magical papyri, right? Like mm -hmm, it yes. causes the same thing. Yes, of course, she's evolved over time because we understand her differently. So, and I think that is a huge part of why people are intimidated by her because of conditioning. That would be like one thing I've, I've definitely observed. Another mm. one, and this might be a little bit controversial, <laughs> um, is that people... Let me see if I can say this correctly. Hecate scares the life back into us. Hecate ah, okay. reminds like us of our own mortality. Hecate delights in humanity. Mm -hmm. The dirtiness, the messiness, the times we're cruel to each other. You know, the times we're loving and generous, the times that we're selfish and greedy and gossipy. Like Hecate is that really complex representation of this great mother figure that is very ancient. Mm -hmm. You know, she's not um, beatified, right? She's not just, oh yeah, the Morgan's the war goddess and she's going to help me be strong. Mm -hmm. And that's really important because I need to work on my, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a pushover. Mm -hmm. um, but Hecate, when you kind of like start to open up that crack inside, you get, you see, oh yeah, so she is the rotting goddess. And she is also... Um, you know, the Alethea, the goddess of midwives and helping, mm -hmm. you know, children to arrive in this world, that there's this breadth of her. And the more we kind of connect to the breadth of Hecate, the more we see our own mortality. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people, so many people, like, I think this is like an epidemic. A lot of people are terrified of Hecate because they're terrified of the fact that they're mortals. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can I, see that. I yeah. have I have chicken skin all over me now. Uh, <laughs> that makes sense, though. Like, you yeah. know, like... When, yeah. And even when I, like, when I was younger, I would say, you know, the idea, like, when you're a kid, right, the idea that you're mortal, like, you, you, is, is mm. very foreign to you. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. I'm going to jump off the roof and fly like Peter Pan. <laughs> right? Like, you know no. what I mean? So, But it's like, mm-hmm. I think what Hecate really does is like, oh, she laughs and, you know, is kind of, like, sardonic and also compassionate when we make a mess out of our lives mm-hmm. because she delights in that complexity of humanity. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. And I think sometimes I'm going to be a little bit, I'm even going to go further on the, the controversy branch of the tree. Sometimes <laughs> because we have a lot of avoidance about our trauma and our issues, we turn to witchcraft and other spiritual identities to escape our humanity. Mm. Yeah. And I think people are terrified of Hecate because somehow, like 2,000 years ago, like 4,000 years ago, um, you know, when she kind of presses upon somebody, it makes them confront their own mortality in ways that if you are trying to, if you are living in fantasy Harry Potter world, Hecate Mm -hmm. is going to like, and if you open up to Hecate, she's going to cure you of that pretty fast. Yes, she will. Yeah. Yes, she will. that I think that's one of the one of my favorite things about Hecate and having people come in searching to connect further and deeper with Hecate um, because you can see that they have had almost like this illusion or this um, illusion or delusion around what their who they are and what they've been doing. And it's always the people who come in and they're always like, well, she's just been popping up. She's been popping up everywhere for me. And the first, the first book I refer them to is keeping her keys. Um, I always, we keep a good backstock of that book. Uh, (laughs) um, We're working on a second edition that gets rid of all the typos. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) okay. I've been working on it this whole past year. Uh, I, 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 well, typo, typos are not, we love the book and we, always, and we recommend it every yeah. single time. And I always tell everyone, I'm like, you know, Hecate is not this deity or spirit or energy or focus that you just get to connect to at your own beck and call. There's work that has to be done. And if you really want to feel the, I don't want to say pureness, cause that's not the right word, but the, the, if you really want to develop it, you need to take time. It is time and devotion. And so I always hand them keeping her keys and I always tell them, read through it first. Then once you've read through the entire thing and you have a good grasp of what's going on, then do the lessons as instructed. And it is so helpful. I've had, um, one of, one of our readers here actually, uh, was in your Covina, I think for a little over a year or so. Um, and she just absolutely just loves, loved it and, and just rails with it. And she just, we always talk about Hecate when she's in the shop and it's awesome. <laughs> um, we actually discussed epithets this last Tuesday, uh, which is kind of what's leading me to, I know that everyone kind of has their like favorite go-to epithets for me. Uh, I love Anodia. I love Astrodia and I love Catonia. Those are the ones that I work with a lot. 
Um, the next one that I usually kind of focus on is Phosphoros. Uh, but for you, how would you describe epithets to other people who are seeking to connect further with them? And what are your favorite three epithets and why? Ooh, it's a juicy question. So you said Phobaros, Gatonia, Astardia, and uh, Anodia. yeah. Okay. Um, so epithets are titles given to characteristics and roles of a deity. Most deities have epithets. Um, it wasn't really something that I knew, like, say, 30 years ago. It was like Hecate was bad, scary witches. Morgan was war, fight, be strong. You know, mm. like Isis was love, mother. You know, it was they were kind of really um, flatlined is what I like to call it. You know, they were squished yeah. in, instead of like, you know, Isis, Isis she of 10,000 names. So epithets are titles that reflect characteristics um, that for Hecate, they come from a variety of ancient sources. That's not to say they shouldn't evolve uh, mm -hmm. and that we would develop new epithets today, of course. So that's what they are. They're like a title. So it can be kind of like a nickname. Um, it could be, you know, a characteristic. It could be mm -hmm. a power. You know, it could be many different things. And if we think about the people that we're close with, like we might already be using epithets to kind of, you know, like, oh, well, they're a real go getter or, you know, like we do a lot. We do this a lot mm -hmm. and we don't even realize what we're doing, but we take people and we use certain terms. And those terms, of course, have energy to them to describe that person. And when we do that, the signatures and definition of that term are kind of awakened. So if someone's a go getter, or if someone's a slowpoke, you know, like yeah. we do this all the time when we're describing people. And that's what epithets are. They're, they're, except instead of describing people and people are hard enough to get to know, um, <laughs> you know, this is trying to describe um, Hecate. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like, so we're, you know, it's like trying to grasp what is so much greater than us that is divine and primordial. And, you know, so that's what epithets are. I really love epithets because for me they really like flesh out hecate they put meat on her bones mm -hmm. yeah they put teeth in her mouth yeah a torch in her hand sandals on her feet crown on her head mm -hmm. um what color her robes are you know the ones that that are relate to her wearing saffron colored robes yeah so, and you know it gives us this uh like kind of vocabulary for connecting to hecate uh, you know that comes from the way the ancients understood her which i think is so beautiful and hecate has so many known epithets over 200. Mm -hmm. yeah um i always recommend if people are curious about the epithets so in my book i i include different ones and if they're really interested there is a tumblr called um Nahedi sings for hecate if you type in epithets tumblr hecate you'll get taken to that tumblr page and uh, Sarah Croft has developed this really extensive list that's a really good, completely free, and you can just kind of peruse it. It's not, you know, you can just kind of read the list to see all this kind of work that's been done, and that's a completely free resource. And, mm -hmm. you know, so I think 
epithets, and I really love epithets because not only do they kind of connect us to an aspect of Hecate that is really kind of like a key for us in that moment, mm -hmm. um, but they also are, they unlock so much inside of us as well. You know, like some days you just need to brimo things, which in yeah, brimo, yeah. of course, means like the terrifying, wrathful, angry lookout. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that sometimes we need to brimo it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like when you think of the different epithets, so in all my books, <coughs> I, there's a whole bunch of epithets in all of them. And in the newest book, the cave book, the chapters are all epithet titles. So they're, the chapters are all deep dives um, into what I feel that epithet really offer can offer us. And then in the garden book, all the plant monographs have um, epithets that I link to the individual plants. So you can kind of reverse engineer it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can look at that epithet that's included as an archetype and then say, oh, this plant is about this. So that epithet probably is about this. And you can kind of work with it that way. Mm. Uh, for me, what we do in Covina, like what I do with them is tie the students in like the, the senior, like the leadership plan, the ones who help uh, lead Covina with me. And Covina is my online school that's hosted in within Mighty Networks, and it's a private, uh, professional, really safe space. So the Mistai is like the leadership program. And we do a project. We each work with um, an epithet of the year. Like So we choose an epithet. Uh -huh for a lunar year and work with it. So mine I chose for this year is Erigenea, which is, I don't know if you know what that one is. It's one from the Greek magical papyri, the PGM. Mm -hmm. And I really, so I get, I get really kind of enchanted by an epithet and have to do like all these things to connect with it. And they can take, like I can be connected to one for years like this. So Erigenea is translated as, uh, daughter of the, the morning hmm. but what it specifically refers to is like the moon like the moon is feminine because you think back at how they wrote and understood the moon so it mm -hmm. means the moon just before sunrise oh okay okay um which i find super like to me and what energy i wanted to really connect with and build upon this year was that kind of energy it's not yet dawn but there is that you know, that juxtaposition, mm -hmm. you know, sunrise is coming and yet the moon is still out. So it's like often Erigenea is interpreted as daughter of the morning, like daughter of the morning, but it has this really uh, complex kind of meaning that it mm -hmm. is talking about in that passage in the PGM when it's used, it's referring to Hecate as the moon just before the sun comes up. Hmm. I like that. It's really yeah. interesting. Yeah, and then I'm also obsessed with Foina Capiza. Just a oh. really obscure one. Uh, I was just thinking, I've not heard of this one. <laughs> so Foina Capiza was also applied to Demeter and Persephone and probably Artemis. Um, and it was, so this is, turned out to be like another one of my year-long projects. I don't know. Hmm. Um, so Foina Capiza is translated as goddess with ruddy feet. Oh, okay. And me being me, I was like, that's interesting. <laughs> you know what it is? Like, okay. And it, it comes from the PGM as well. I was like, caught us with ruddy feet. So they could be bloody feet or dirty feet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What does Foina Capiza actually mean? You know, because like we're dealing with like a lot of Victorian translations. Yes. And so mm -hmm. when these Victorian men translated the Greek, 
they put their cultural and personal lens on the translations. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times, like to really understand what an epithet means, it's like you need to kind of do a lot of research and look at what the, the Greek or the Latin was and then look to some anthropology and look at what it would have meant to them at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because Daughter of the Morning reminds me of the, I I think it was from the 80s, like, just call me Angel of the Morning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and okay. then it's like, no, that's not actually, well, it's kind of what they meant, but not exactly. So Foina Capiza, Goddess of Ruddy Feet, sounds cool already. She's got bloody feet. She's got dirty feet. I'm yeah. in. Yeah. Here for it. I'm here for it, right? So I bought a new vehicle last year, and I always name my vehicles epithets. Oh, okay. Um, so it's red. My new vehicle is red, and so I call, called her Foina Capiza. And so since then, I've had this, and I, I have a Kristen who is my research partner in a lot of going down these you know deep avenues where we have to like look at Greek texts and figure out what the, they actually said, and so on. Same with Latin. Um, and she was kind of really drawn to this epithet too, and didn't, and what, like me, we were like, well, there's not really anything written about it. So let's do the research and figure break the word down. So what we've kind of discovered, and th- this takes us months and months, cause I have Covina to run and, you know, you have yeah. all the other things, but so it's always like my great indulgence is in doing these research projects into you know hecate like hecate's history Mm, so um so it was a practice of priestesses probably who would have been priestesses of hecate potentially you know at the temple at lagina or certainly at eleusis Mm -hmm. that they would red like make their feet red oh okay okay so this was something um that was done you know some of the like in certain, like there's certain references um, in different documents to this. So that's like, well, that's interesting. And then we were like, well, what did they use? Like red paint? Mm -hmm. You know, what would like the blood of the sacrificed animals? Like, you know, like, you know how you, I think the two of you are very curious too. So you know how you're like, what? Yeah. Yeah. How how do they do this? Yeah. How do they do like, what is, and so what we've discovered is that henna was really common in the ancient Mediterranean. So, you know, applying henna to your body. And foina actually was a word that was used for henna. Oh. Oh, interesting. Because it means red, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So, you know, it could be, so we're we're doing this um, Camp Hecate this summer and like our whole theme is kind of like foina capiza and like we're doing this ritual where they'll be making their feet red with henna. because it's, it's, you know, we often think today, too, like henna comes from India. It doesn't come from the ancient Mediterranean. But it actually, like, was super commonly used um, in the ancient Mediterranean, like in Greece and in Egypt, like in that whole area. Yeah. So it could well mean, you know, the goddess with henna feet. So it's not that we like her with dirty feet. We like her with bloody feet. Yeah. But there's also this really interesting idea that um, it could be referring to, like, she had henna feet which would really elevate her and make her sacred, right? Mm-hmm. It's like putting Hecate in saffron robes. That was a key indicator of her importance to the person who wrote that passage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, 
That's so. Those are the two big ones I'm really connecting with right now: are Erigenea and Foina Capesa, two really obscure ones. And then, I of course, Clydocus is never far from me because yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Got those. <laughs> got those keys. I, okay. <laughs> I I I I love deep dives into epithets. We we did a working uh, as a coven where how many epithets did we evoke? Are you talking about the trans? The trans protecting trans rights. Oh, uh, twelve. 12 we evoked 12 <laughs> different ones and some of them were were like well-known ones like i i think we evoked rexipile uh we had rexipile we had phosphorus in there yeah, yeah. but uh, then we had some other ones and it was like okay this is cool so we we love working with epithets because it just adds another layer of focus and desire to them um so i have a really I guess all my questions are juicy. It's just because I'm just here for it. So as one of the most well-known voices in Hecatean uh, practice, do you have any advice to our listeners who want to either begin their practice with Hecate or even take their work a step further? So I would say my, I like to give simple advice. You know, the dark moon, the night when the moon is not visible. So we call it the, the new moon. Mm-hmm today but that that night when the moon is not visible find yourself a place where it can be dark and still and quiet it can be the bathroom or you could do something elaborate and go to a cross you know you can it's really like but to start simply is just to learn to be comfortable in the dark yeah like that right just to be comfortable in the dark because so many of us have all of this programming and nonsense about the dark's bad, the dark is evil, you know, Hecate is scary and wrong, and you know, like I must be sinful or something because I feel called to her. It's like, no, just be comfortable in the dark. Yeah. Just for a few minutes. Don't fuss and and see, like and open up. You can light a candle if you have a candle. You know, you can make it more elaborate, but just be comfortable in the dark. And or not, right? If you are discomfortable in that darkness, I can guarantee you, my friend, Hecate will cause a similar discomfiture for you Mm -hmm. as you go deeper into her. So, you know, it's like that is, I think, the the, kind of the the way to just connect to Hecate. And then, you know, I always recommend, like, make the dark moon like something special. Make it part of your monthly schedule you know like if we're getting juicy one of my big things is i don't have any time for any of this it's like well then it's not important to you my friend yep i agree with that 100 percent. i tell my students that all the time yep right so you know if you can't put it in your google calendar if you can't block off you know like some time to prep and then some time to do something special on the dark moon then hecate is not important to you yep it's that simple mm-hmm. and you're, you know yeah. what I mean? Like it's that simple, like it's not complicated. So, yeah. but uh, that being said, I know like, you know, like it doesn't need to be super elaborate, just getting started, sitting in the dark, lighting a candle, um, you know, making a simple Hecate supper if you're comfortable doing so and taking it to a crossroads. Um, you know, you can read, I mean, I'm sure you have things to offer in my books, there's many things that they could read or rituals yes. that could be done to kind of make it more elaborate. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just that, I, like you said, purity 
earlier. And I think there is kind of like a purity of spirit to Hecate. Like, you know, she is the great miasma remover. She's Babara Farba, the filth-eating goddess, right? Mm -hmm. So she takes, there is no, she is untarnished in that because she is completely 100% tarnished. Yeah. Right? So, you know, it's not like that weird purity, like looking at the stained glass on the church wall thing. Yeah. It's like that, you know, like she has the totality of all of the filth of the world and that is what makes her like pure and light yeah. and also dark. So, you know, I think just getting comfortable with that, doing a simple ritual, making it a, a priority to you. Because although I like how you were saying like Hecate will always answer and indeed she will. And it, I also do think there's an element of reciprocity. And I don't think it's like, you know how with some spirits you have to like give them 20 bucks in a bottle of vodka to make them happy? Yeah. I don't necessarily think that that's Hecate's thing, at least not in my experience. So I think the element of reciprocity is more like if you show up and you are ready to do what needs to be done, she will show up and help you. I agree 100% on that. And I think the whole, like, you know, we're doing this year-long project on the, the Hecate Supper, so the, the Dipnon, Dipnon mm -hmm. just needs supper. And, you know, like really looking at the anthropology around like, why was this done? Like what this would have meant to the people who actually did it. Um, and, you know, it's this idea of like, you know, cleansing the house and propitiation and, you know, all of these kind of things, but it's also like the doing of it. Yeah. Right. The doing of the thing and the sense of agency. And I think, you know, like, to the ancients, Hecate was this very complicated, full-bodied experience, full-bodied goddess, you know, who occupied liminal spaces and had teeth and a sword and was also benevolent, you know, mm -hmm. Peonios the healer. So, you know, when I'm thinking about all of that, it's like just to open up to some of that, but don't overwhelm. Like the internet is really a wonderful tool and it also can really cause overwhelm and like paralyzation yeah because i think like for me and i know this is a really common theme in covina and what i hear from my followers and readers like hecate can really call us to break up with perfectionism yes you know, and again, it's looping back to my idea about she reminds us of our own mortality. She reminds us that we are messy by nature, yeah. by design. As mortal beings, we're not perfect. And I think, so I, you know, a lot of people get paralyzed by perfectionism because they want to propitiate Hecate. They want to please her um, or placate her if they're kind of, if they're afraid of her. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, I've never had that experience that, Hecate demands that, but I would say what Hecate desires from us, if anything, um, would be that we show up. Yeah. Right. That the crossroads, the pilgrimage to the crossroads with the specially prepared meal that is left there, that is about us showing up. Yeah. And, and facing our fears and going into the dark. Like if you think even about the ancient Hecate suppers, um, you know, there's kind of a twofold thing. Some were left outside the door, but some actually they took to like, um, you know, kind of a 
intimidating or foreboding crossroads near a graveyard. You know what I mean? You know, you yeah. know that whole lore. So when you think about like that is for the people who actually took the supper, it would be about uh, facing their own fears. When you think about like what abides at the crossroads yeah. to them, you, you know, scary spirits, um, people who didn't have a proper burial. Mm -hmm. So like unwed mothers, um, people who are outside, you know, and just anyone kind of outside of cultural norms. So when you think about like, what is that on the deeper level? It's about this journey to face like our own messiness. It's a journey to face our own fears and, you know, to seek her assistance in keeping those at bay while we are facing them. You know, it wasn't yeah. like they put these all, they didn't put these meals like in a fancy temple and just like, good luck with that. Like you had to actually go to the place that was terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's uh, a lot of what I find in modern day practice. Everyone wants it to be simple and a, a heck of, a, a deep non is simple, but you, it's just a matter of doing it. And yeah. I, I'm very much in agreement with the idea that these individuals are scared. And I always, Mike and I have this conversation quite frequently. They're scared of something real. Mm -hmm. Because if you talk to anyone, and, and you mention Hecate, everyone knows that's real. Everyone. Anyone, you could be talking to a Norse pagan versus... Uh, uh, a Hellenic pagan or a Celtic pagan, and you mention Hecate, and there everyone's response is, "Oh, okay," and it's like there is something real there. Not to say that the other spirits and the other gods aren't, but there's something so deep and vast and primordial about Hecate that she really does just want you to do the thing. Yeah, like That's is she, and you know, like when you look at how Hesiod. Um, you know, trying to capture his perception of Hecate, mm -hmm. you know, when he said that even Zeus gave her um, dominion over land, sea, and sky. Mm -hmm. Like even, so we look back, this is over 3,000 years ago. You know, he's trying to say like, she is that primordial greater force, even than the king of the gods himself. Yeah. She's mm -hmm. not cavorting with the rest of the Olympians. She mm -hmm. divorced, you know, she broke up with the Titans. Mm -hmm. um you know and that's just that's the mythology that humans are trying to tell mm -hmm. to grapple with their experience of hecate as this very primal force that is like the the, the she is like the space in between everything and i remember years and years ago it was a long time ago we were at this planetarium and uh you know that neil degrasse tyson you know who i mean mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah so we were watching like um like a movie you know what i mean by a planetarium like you go with your yeah. kids <clears throat> oh yeah 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 yeah, 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 okay. we, yeah we yeah we've, we've got a, a fairly nice planetarium here yeah yeah okay so i was watching this movie and he's going on neil degrasse tyson is going on and on and on about dark matter it was, the movie was about dark matter mm -hmm. and i was like that's what hecate is yeah yes the very darkness between the stars yes yeah. that's that you know and that's like and you look beyond the stars to the darkness it's like of course that's kind of terrifying yeah yeah but then when you you're like no but that is the very essence of the universe yeah 
I love it. Well, I think a lot of people, when we talk about in a, in a spiritual context, you know, or a metaphysical context, you know, we talk about things like darkness, you know, the spaces in between, you know, dark matter, these kinds of things. I think that a lot of people look at something like that and they see that as um, there's like a sense of nothingness mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. When, really it, when it, when in reality, like it's the, the dark matter, this stuff, like this is, this is where so much more is actually going on. Like there, it's not a nothingness. It's not an emptiness. It's a, like this, this is truly like, this is potential. This is the animating force of the universe. This is, you know, this is all of these pieces. And I think it's just a matter of getting people to kind of retrain their thinking on that. Yeah. And to be open to that, you know, like that, this is like, this isn't cosplay. Like you said, Hecate is real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, that she is a real force and, you know, for me, like, I think there are other spirits in the world, you know, with different names that kind of capture this to, you know, to varying degrees. Mm -hmm. I am such a like lifelong, I'm just fascinated by comparative religion and different mythologies. So, you know, I think there are other figures out there that kind of, that, that humans have tried to like connect with this vastness like you said it's the void but it also is the void that births everything and to whom we all return like Mm -hmm. it's it's all of this right yeah so i think there i wouldn't say hecate is the only one i would just say that for some of us uh, that's how we experience this like through like deeper callings and and, you know Mm -hmm. so on like we experience this vastness and i think you know there is just so much like superficiality in the world today. Yes. Yeah. Especially when it comes to spiritual practice as well. Right. And I think a lot of it is born from people not feeling safe. Mm-hmm. Yes. So they do this thing or they present this way or they think they got to, like I used to think, and this is sounds so hilarious now, like, but we're going back in time, we're going back to the witch box days. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like I used to think, you know, like I would have to dress a certain way or do a certain thing mm-hmm. um, to be accepted, kind of like with the the pagans and witches that I was hanging out with. Yeah. Because I was always just kind of like me. You know, I kind of like what I like, but I, but, but I would think of like, I mean, one story that always comes to mind is the cloak business. <laughs> like I could never really connect to wearing a cloak, but the group I was with at the time were very into the cloaks. Gotcha. <laughs> so I had a cloak made by like a local seamstress who was in, in the community and, and I was really happy with my cloak and I'm quite short. I'm only five, two. And I, a lot of my, I don't want to wear cloakness is because I'm short and also clumsy. Ah, okay. <laughs> and I didn't want to be like traipsing around in the woods and whatnot falling. Yeah, I of knew, course. <laughs> like I know Hecate might be guiding me. But like, if you wear a cloak that's too long and you walk around in the woods late at night and you fall, then she's just going to be like, well. <laughs> well, you're the one who wore the cloak, so. What did you think would happen? Exactly. I I remember um, one of the biggest lessons Hecate has, has really imparted on me is to be unapolog- unapologetically you. Yes, 100%. I, I remember I struggled really hard because I did traditional Wicca for a long time. I was a gardener. Yep. And I remember the first time my high priestess was like, okay, we're going sky clad. I was like, 
I've been there, done that. I'm not yeah. taking off my panties. Sorry, friends. And, and so I was like, okay, I'm just going to do it. And my high priestess at that time was also a devotee of Hecate. And she was like, no one's going to judge you. Be unapologetically you. And you're hairy, so stay away from the fire. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so I just, I love, I love, I love the story you shared with the cloak because it is so true. It's like... There's this idea that you have to look away or be a certain way to to be a witch or to be a pagan. And there are some times where I'm like, I just want to show up in sweats and a t-shirt, family. Right. Like, I, it's it's a thing. It's a thing. I, I, I remember um, I remember the first public ritual I went to and there everyone was in robes. And I was like, I was just there in jeans and a t-shirt. And I was like, I'm super comfortable and we're about to work a mill. So I'd rather be comfortable. So, <laughs> right. That's what I always say in Covina. It's like, well, you know, our ritual attire is all black, mm -hmm. but you know, be comfortable. And I think it should be a little nice. Like yeah. if you normally just wear like your, you know, like, like it's fine if you wear whatever you want, but maybe make it a little special. Yeah, like a I, special T-shirt that you only wear for the rituals or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it doesn't need to be this cloak. Anyway, the end of the cloak story was is that my cloak was not approved by the others <laughs> <laughs> and you know it was just like that whole sense of even getting like like you had a really great high priestess who's like it'll be fine but my my experience was kind of like lip service to that a little bit but also like why do you have to be different like we're trying to have like a group thing going on here yeah and it's like you must conform you and, must conform and, and i'm you know i'm not much of a conformist well hecate is the ultimate anti-conformist oh that's so good yeah she 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 is the goddess of the marginalized the outskirts you know and i always tell people i'm like hecate has no problem working with anyone unless you're a racist a bigot a homophobe a transphobe or anything like that if you're any of the phobes or anything like that the most reaction you're going to get from her is I'm probably going to torch down your life and you're going to see that everything you're doing is probably not the best, but you probably don't have enough of an IQ to understand that. So I don't, right. you, have no you have no insight. You know what? This is something I've never thought of before. Like you said, if you're any of the foes, but I would kind of say like, <laughs> if you have a fixed mindset, mm -hmm. Hecate is going to like any Hecate is not going to be necessarily good experience for you yeah and i think people with a fixed mindset like perhaps aren't really drawn to hecate although sometimes you kind of see they are and you'll see them like on online spaces yeah trying to put a fixed mindset onto hecate you know it's like you must do this this way and this is this and that and the other thing and all mm -hmm. these things um but i think hecate really is about that growth mindset you know yes. that openness to change that openness to your own frailties that openness to like comfort being the like in the company of the an ultimate anti-conformist yes yes like, you know, like, like being like hey you know like we're here on the mar i always used to say like we're marginalized but then like several years ago i had one of those boom epiphany moments i was mm -hmm. like no i don't want to use the word marginalized anymore we are in the vanguard Vanguard. I'm here for that. Yes, we are in the Vanguard. 
We are not marginal, you know, because marginalized has this kind of sense like being like subjugated to the patriarchy and whatnot. Mm -hmm. If we say like, yes, the, we're fighting the patriarchy, we're doing all those good things, uh, but we're in the vanguard. And, you know, we are through our lives and through our connection to Hecate and through our witchcraft, we are actually rippling out um, in small ways and large ways, mm -hmm. you know, this need for deeper healing of, you know, stepping away from toxic positivity, mm -hmm. um, you know, like, so we're in the vanguard, we're not marginalized. And that's where Hecate is. She's in the vanguard. I like that. I like that. I, 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 I like that a lot, actually, because, yeah, I always use the term marginalized and I, I'll agree. It kind of comes with that, like, ooh, like, uh, suppressed kind of feel. But Vanguard feels much more like, yeah, no, we're out here, but we're doing the things. And we're happy to be where we are. And we're happy to be where we are, you know? Like, yeah, do we want acceptance? Sure. Really, we just want you to leave us the fuck alone and let us live our lives. <laughs> exactly. Like, we're, you know, we are doing what we feel put on this earth to do. Mm -hmm. We're not here to hurt you. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's just like, let us be that part of the world that yeah. is necessary, that, you know, the, the keepers of Hecate, you know, in the mm -hmm. sense that, we are exploring our own interior shadow and darkness um, and connecting to her totality. And that in a world that is addicted to fake light, that we are doing something important beyond ourselves. I really believe that. I, 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 I agree. And I believe with that 100%. I love that you use the term fake light because fake light is, it, it is all encompassing. It is not just fake light of like, the the pretty shiny of the new age and the light workery like buy this crystal and your problems will be solved but it's also fake light in the sense of like allowing yourself to disconnect i mean yes we love technology technology is the entire reason why i can have this interview with you it's the entire reason why we can have a podcast and we can continue to connect but with that little that little phone in your hand you have the ability to go online and research things at your fingertips but then it's a matter of making sure that you're not just letting that be your driving force you have to also get practical and do the work in the real world with it and i'm it's it's always funny because i always want natural light so the first thing i do when i when i open up my studio to teach is I open up the window. I open up the blinds. I, yeah, I have the above lights on because my studio's in a refurbished garage, so it's a little dark. <laughs> um, but I open up that light, and the first thing I do in the morning is I say I welcome light into this temple as I open that up because it is so important to have that natural light um, so that way the fake light is dimmed. Oh, I just got super like deep there and I think I lost myself in a in, in, in a in a conundrum or a worm. Well I think what you were going to say, like and it also is like if like when we talk about the dipnon, you know, the importance of doing it either simple like you're just sitting in the dark or more elaborate, mm -hmm. whatever it is you're doing, um, if we look at what we've done to this planet with electricity. Yes. And you know, like the fake light at night. I think yeah. we're going I think we're going down the same deepness together. Like there is this kind of surface layer of our addiction to fake light. Yeah. And then it kind of, like you said, it goes into like spirituality. Mm -hmm. um, it even goes into like 
what we tell our children. Yeah. You know, like, don't worry, be happy. Yeah. You know, like, look on the bright side. Like, sometimes there is no bright side. And if we want to be good parents, we have to help our children to understand and to train them. Yeah. That sometimes there is no bright side. Despair is real. Yeah. And you don't need to medicate. I mean, sometimes you do for clinical conditions. Yeah. But, like, all of this kind of medication for, um, I think, a lot of it, and this, again, is controversial, is a lot of the anxiolytics that are prescribed today are like they're kind of like fake light yeah like people are going through bad things shitty things and instead of them being supported in a way so they can work through it they kind of get you know six sessions of cognitive behavioral therapy and a bottle of pills if, if they're lucky they get six sessions of cognitive behavioral therapy yeah and there's no tending to the deeper source of the distress like it's mm -hmm. i think for me that's all part of the fake light thing i, I agree i always tell people because i i i'm actually going to be going back to school for psychology um just because it's always been something that has always been I, i've always loved it i mean i took so many psychology classes in my undergrad that the the head of the department was like why aren't you just a major and i was like because i'm a music major and i already have a lot to do <laughs> so, uh but I, I always tell people, I'm like, medication's not a bad thing, you know, if you need it. Uh, I'm bipolar type 1. I need to be medicated, even if that's just minorly, so that way I can maintain some semblance of balance, you know. Um, but I most definitely, I went through years of therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, EMDR, all that stuff to make sure that I had coping mechanisms. And so for the last four years, I was unmedicated because I didn't have health insurance. I'm self-employed. I didn't have health insurance. I live in the United States of America and health insurance is bad anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, but I, I didn't have that source. And so when I went to the doctor and he was sitting there and we were talking about it, he's like, well, you're, you're bipolar type one. And you've been unmedicated for four years. How are you coping? And I said, honestly, I, I, I chalk it up to Hecate. Mm -hmm. And of course, I can't say that to my doctor. I mean, I could. And I did. I said, well, I work a lot in a spiritual community in a spiritual capacity. And I know when I'm getting overwhelmed. And I know those triggers when I can feel myself going into a manic phase or a depressive phase. And so I, I know that I need to take a step back and I need to do something to balance that. And then he asked me, he said, so do you feel you need medication? And I said, I think that a low dose of medication would just help me maintain a little bit better mm. because I do have a temper. I'm Italian. Of course I do. And so he put me on a very low dose of Cymbalta. And so far, uh, the only reason he, he, he agreed to it too was because I have fibromyalgia. And he was like, this is going to help with your fibro too. And that'll help give you a semblance of peace and you'll be able to sleep better. And so I, I always tell my clients because there's, there's two ends of the spectrum here. There's medicate everything away or don't do anything and just stay unmedicated and don't have any form of balance or peace. Yeah. And there has to be a balance there. And that's where I truly do believe Hecate comes in because, you know, we have the pharmacaea. Uh, and the pharmacaea are so potent and so powerful. And we all know that valerian and valium share components. And mm -hmm. so being able to say, you know, yeah, I'm going to do the shadow work, which is a hot trigger point and trigger word right now. But we're, we're going to go in. We're going to do that shadow work. We're going to face those shadows. And because my brain doesn't want to 
make the chemicals it needs to be a functional human of society, I'm also going to make sure that I medicate. And you can do both of those things and still be spiritual. Definitely. And, and for some reason, people think that if you're taking a medication, then you're not spiritual. And I've had more times than not clients tell me, wait, you're medicated? And I'm like, yeah. Like, I have to be because it helps me maintain some semblance of peace. Um, but that doesn't mean that I'm medicating everything away. You know, on occasion, do I have some weed? Yes. Uh, <laughs> but right. also, you know, that's that's also medical for me because of the fiber. So, so I love how you put that where people are, instead of actually digging deep and going, what is the root of this? They're just, oh, I'll just take a pill. Yeah. That or we have the other end where they're just going to spiritually bypass and they're going to go do an ayahuasca ceremony in some person's backyard and end up getting poisoned and then having a spiritual experience. Maybe. Probably just a cycle. Probably just throw up. Probably just throw up and, you know, other things. So, so that's really awesome. Thank you for going down that rabbit hole. I just want to talk more about this whole thing about people saying things like being surprised because you take, um, like something to help you balance. Yeah. People are, su- they're, they're shocked about that. And I, I, and I, I get shocked when they're shocked. Cause I'm like, I, I went through and I did the med games. I mean, when I was a senior in high school, I was taking 300 milligrams of lithium three times a day. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot. Um, <laughs> do I remember what that feels like? No. Other than I remember I was very balanced numb i guess is a better term for that um but but people are always shocked when they find this out and they're like well how do you function as a witch and i'm like it's 30 milligrams of an antidepressant like (coughs) and i always tell people i'm like if you're so spiritual that taking a small amount of medication to make your brain produce the things that it needs to produce and to help with those synapses is going to stop you from being spiritual you obviously haven't done the work that's so interesting like i'm just thinking about this like I me mean, i take a whole cornucopia of supplements mm-hmm. um, i tend not to take um like i you know I, like i've kind of been through and taken many different antidepressants in mm-hmm. my life none of them really did much for me so you know, and my chronic pain. So I, I kind of have like my own thing that I do with a lot of different supplements. And um, I think that's a really interesting bias that I hope us talking about it helps perhaps help some people who are feeling like that this is a block to them. You know, yeah. they can't do their practice because they need some Balta or effects or whoever. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever that something for their ADHD or even something stronger, maybe, um, you know, like it, but it, I think there is that sense of agency about getting to your, like you own your own health. Mm-hmm. So, you know, getting to a level of like what you've done is really just so I think inspirational to others saying like, you know, I was, here's where I was, mm-hmm. this is where I'm now. And this is part of my personal apothecary for how I can best function as who I am in the world. Like, why wouldn't we applaud that? Well, exactly. I uh, People get so shocked, you know, about 
Yeah, I use modern day Western medication or Western things. When I get sick, I'm, I'm very prone to sinus infections. I When I get a sinus infection, I go to the doctor and I, I try and fight it off first, but my sinus infections get so bad that my doctor's like, just come in and I'll give you horse pills. And I'm like, thank you. I appreciate that because otherwise I'm just going to be dead. It's fine. Um, you know, so I go in to the doctor when I need to. And when I feel that there is a concern and people just think it's so shocking and I share my stories with like going through the medication game and the therapy game and being um, misdiagnosed as one thing and then having to jump treatment from another and all these other things. And I can honestly say that having having the firm root and spirituality that I did, because I grew up with a grandmother from the South who was a conjuring root worker. She would never say that. You know, if you asked her if she was a hoodoo practitioner or a conjurer root worker, she'd say, no, I'm a God-fearing Christian woman. And then she'd put your name in a jar. Um, uh, and then my great-grandmother on my mother's side, where she was an Italian practitioner from Avellino, and she did all these things and worked with these these spirits. Having that growing up, going into traditional Wicca, yeah, I have lots of knowledge around medical herbalism pharmaceutical herbalism clinical herbalism that's the term there we go and i mean my husband mike we, we just had to open the shop so he's tending to the shop right now um so he says hello bye <laughs> um but he has a, a a degree in herbalism and there are just certain things he said he's like in order for you to get the type of balance that you need from a plant you would have to take huge amounts of it mm -hmm. and so it's just always shocking to me when you have these people who just want to carry the crystal to help with their their CPTSD, but don't want to do any of the actual mundane work to cope and integrate. And it just shocks me because I, I don't know, I guess I just did both. And so I, I, I kind of have to check my privilege on that and like my experience because I grew up spiritual in, in a practicing household, but also with a father who didn't believe in it, any of it and would still make me go to the doctor. <laughs> so so I kind of got the best of both worlds. And I, I've never really thought about like my story being inspirational anymore. It's just my story, you know. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, we, we see that a lot actually in the community where I'd rather carry a crystal than take a med, take a pill. And it concerns me because nine times out of 10, these people have been told this by another practitioner or someone else. And it, it makes my heart hurt because they're being told that something that is a part of them isn't okay. Right. And I think, oh, this is such a good conversation. So it's like in like allopathic or mainstream medicine, mm -hmm. it can do the same thing to us, mm -hmm. right? Make us think that we're just our diagnosis, mm -hmm. like, that we're just these things. And then what you're saying, like, yeah, you're right. These people do the same thing. These practitioners, these unethical practitioners do the same thing and say, you know, like, you just need to hyper-focus on this thing, but, like, this crystal or this pyramid, I like the pyramids, 
I don't mm-hmm. know. You know you, have you ever seen these things? They set up these swanky pyramids. Oh, yeah, the copper pyramids. Yeah. I've had a so customer like, on they, their head before. I'm not saying they might not help. I'm just saying, like, if someone is telling you that the copper pyramids or the water from John of God or whatever it is, mm-hmm. uh, if that is the only way to heal, like, you always want to be saying, but is it right for me? And like you said, allopathic medicine has advanced in such a way that there are many treatments that are very effective and help us either heal us or help us manage chronic conditions better. And, you know, I don't think it makes a lick of sense to deny those things. I think it's all about us, again, kind of looping back to that sense of agency. Like we are the ones in charge of our health. Yeah. So, you know, if, a pharmacological treatment is what works best for a person, then why would we negatively judge that? I I think there is so much of that. But you know, I don't know why this is coming through, but uh, Carl Jung had this idea that's kind of like not really talked about much, but this idea about people becoming too spiritual. Mm-hmm. And and I always find it interesting that, you know, we now we say, well, I'm spiritual, but not religious. And we're like, Young warned us hundred and some years ago. He said, don't, don't, don't do that. Um, <laughs> you know, this whole thing like that, being too spiritual means that you're disconnected from your body. You're disconnected from your big ass self. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, now in the weird way that the world works, it's like, we're all spiritual. It's like, that's not what he meant. Exactly. Um, you know, he wanted us to be soulful. Yeah. And I think when we see from that deeper side of the soul, we see, yes, I do have a body that has aches and pains, perhaps an illness, like a men- I, I don't even, I don't like the word mental illness, but we'll use that just cause, mm-hmm. um, you know, that we have these things and to deny that is more avoidance coping, which goes right back to where we began with spiritual bypassing. Yeah. So I think we've done a whole, We've done a whole Strophilos. I love that. It was because of Covina that I learned, and keeping her keys, that I learned how to actually draw Strophilos. <laughs> One of my biggest contributions to the world, and also the transfer candle. Oh, yes. Uh, we, <laughs> I did the transfer candle, and I was like, whoa, this is really fucking awesome. No more paying 25 bucks for these fancy candles. You do it yourself with a blow dryer. <laughs> do it yourself with a blow dryer. It's so great. Um, okay. So uh, before we wrap up, just because we've, we've given, I, I could, I could go on forever with you, Cindy. You're just absolutely fantastic and amazing. And you are such a wealth of knowledge and wisdom and truly I, I truly sense and feel Hecate every single time I read your books and every single time I listen to your podcast or hear you speak and just hear the, the room just pulsates with Hecate. Oh. And um, I, I just want to say thank you so much. Um, is there any projects that we need to be looking for in the works that you're doing that uh, our listeners or me, because I'm, I've been told that I'm not allowed to buy anything for myself because my birthday's in june and my mother-in-law and my oh, what day is your birthday june 18th mine is the 6th 
Oh. High five, Gemini's. High five. I love it. My uh, my mother-in-law is a Cancer, and she's June 26th. And so I have a whole bunch of June, June people that I just absolutely love. Um, you wouldn't think I'm a Gemini because my rising is Virgo, my moon is Virgo. And then pretty much everything after that's Leo. But, you know, you wouldn't know that with my hair is a mess today. Um, anyway. <laughs> um, but Virgo what... likes comfort above all else. Oh, my God. Yes, I love it. I, I, I remember the, the... That's one reason why I went... I can't do opera. I, I can't do it. I, I told my professors, I was like, do I really have to dress up in a tux for my senior recital? They're like, yes. And I was like, it's my senior recital. I just want to be comfy. So I did the tux and then I did my musical theater set at the end. And I did my musical theater set in jeans and a t-shirt because I was like, you can't tell me what to do. I think this is really interesting. Your whole, like your music, psychology, Hecate business. I feel like I could talk to you for hours too. I feel, I, I feel the same about you. I mean, I, it was funny because you hear about uh, Saturn returns and the, the height of my Saturn return, I opened up a witchcraft shop, solidified my studio in the Salt Lake City area, really solidified my practice with Hecate, um, started teaching more uh, on the spiritual, magical level and looked at the performance world and went, eh, not for me. And then just kind of like left. And then once I accepted that and I went through that, I have students who are just going and shining. And uh, one of my students is at Indiana University, one of the best opera universities in, in the, the US and, and, and quite frankly, the world right now. And he's continues trying to get me to come see him in his junior recital. And I was like, honey, it's your junior recital. Wait a second. You sang opera? Yeah. Actually, last year I was Pinkerton and Madame Butterfly. I love opera. What's your favorite opera? Well, right now, because I went to see Medea, the, the one by the, fel the French, fe I think it was the Italian fellow, but he lived in France. That mm -hmm. version of Medea from the 18th century, I went to see okay. that was the last one I saw at the Met. Oh. I was like, freaking addicted to Medea. And that was, she was like my entry into opera. And I'm just learning about operas, like a new thing that I'm just learning about. Oh, God. We got on another subject now. Woof! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I am just like in Tosca and all of, Doug, I'm just learning all of this at my age. I'm just like falling in love for op with opera. And I'm just like, it's my new grand passion. It is. Um, I, the stories. The, no, it just blows my mind. The drama. The, yes, the drama, drama, right? Um, if you want a really good opera... Um, so I'm gonna, I'll, I'll give you some referrals. Um, and then we'll, we'll, then we'll wrap up the episode and say goodbye and I will cry about it because yeah, but I also need to go fix my flat tire at my, on my car. <laughs> um, so for a more modern day opera, there is a Moby Dick opera by Jake Heggie. Okay. Um, is it in English? It's in English. Um, and it is actually really pretty fantastic. I was actually in the chorus of the new revival production of it with utah opera oh. um, which was really really cool it was really fun it's an entire thing of men but then one woman because the woman is pip the pants roll <laughs> um and then if you haven't seen uh seen or listened to la nozze di figaro yet the marriage of figaro by mozart Oh, God, what I production because i'm learning as i'm learning about opera it's all about the production like yes like who the conductor was, who the yes. director was, who the diva was, like who, you know, like everybody in it that you can't just kind of be like opera. Yeah. Like you need to have specific information. Yes. The Met did a particular production of Macbeth 
um, and they represented Hecate quite well. Oh, yes, I saw that. Yes. Um, and then obviously you have Falstaff. I think that's what got me started now that you said that. Uh, I, I, one of the ways I honor Hecate is I just, I, I just sing her my arias and she's just like, this is nice. Can you do an angry one now? And I'm like, oh, I guess I'm a tenor. So anyhow, <laughs> so uh, Rusolka would also be a really good one. Um, I don't know that one. Rusolka is uh, Dvorak. And, okay. Uh, so it is in Czech or Russian. Um, but it's really good. It's like the Czech version of the little mermaid. And, uh, there's a particular witch in there who is the mezzo. And if you can find the one with Jamie Barton, Jamie Barton, um, I'll throw that in the chat for you. Okay. Jamie. Are we still recording? Yeah. <laughs> People uh, are gonna be like, you're oh still my with God. us. Now you're going to be curious about Opera 2. Uh, Jamie Barton is uh, actually a personal friend of mine. She uh, is a queer artist and a mezzo, and she sang uh, Ye Yeji, Yeji Baba in it, um, which is like the sea witch. She's the, the Russian person. Yeah, person. now I know what you're talking about. I have heard yeah. of that one. So that was that would be a good one. And then if you want any other ones, you got my email. I will be more than happy to shoot those over to you. <laughs> I just, I love that this is just like opening up to me. Like I've kind of like, I like opera, but now I'm like, oh, this is just such a beautiful world. You know, like kind of being like someone who's like, oh yeah, that production of Macbeth was really good. Yeah. Like, oh, this is such a rich world and I feel like I'm, I have so much to learn and I love, like, I love learning things. I, I am so glad that we connected with that because yes, yes. Um, and with how opera is moving now, opera is turning into a more inclusive space. Um, and so I actually have a really good friend of mine who is trans. She is melted female. Um, and she is a baritone and so she's doing lots of baritone roles, coloratura, like amazing things. And it's, it's just absolutely amazing. Oof. Anyway, we could talk for hours. So what projects do you have coming up that we need to be looking out for Dr. Brandon? So what I am doing this year is I'm really focusing on Covina in the courses I teach in Covina. So we've done... Um, you know, Covina continues to evolve, and uh, Covina is just Latin for coven. Yeah. It just sounds fancy. Um, so we, uh, we're continuing to evolve with the courses and build that community. And then I'm doing, like, a retreat this summer in Michigan, Camp Hecate, which I'm excited about. Um, and I'm really taking this year in terms of, like, books. Um, I'm working, like I said, I'm doing the big year-long project researching Hecate's Suppers which may lead to a book. Um, and I'm just taking like, inter like I'm teaching and doing the podcast and doing all the things that mm -hmm. I do and also taking a really like an exploratory year. And, and like I said, I just finished um, doing a complete overhaul of the keeping your keys book. I just freshly finished that. Okay. So, you know, hopefully bringing that out, next year making that available for the fifth anniversary of that little book that's found its way to so many people i just 
So yeah, that's what, so what you can expect, come and join Covina. We have a general membership now. If you just want to like hang out and come to some lives and watch recordings, it's kind of like a Patreon experience, like a high level Patreon experience. And then we have the courses, the Hecate's Keys program. So if you want like a structured program, um, do that. And uh, yeah, I'm just really, I'm really, really into this whole Hecate's Supper project and the depth of it. We're doing eggs right now. So I, look for a pod from me on, Kristen and I have decided we need to do a whole pod just on eggs because we did a pod called Culinary Psychopop a few months ago where we talked about the fish and the cakes. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to do one just on eggs because eggs, there's so much. So I'm really enjoying whenever I have time just to indulge that world. It's so fascinating to me. I'm I'm already seeing the cover for um, the, the the Hecate Supper. I can already see it. I'm I if you choose to go down that path, I can already see it. It's beautiful and it's gorgeous. When, it does just have kind of a spirit to it, doesn't it? It does. It Hecate's does. Kitchen, entering Hecate's kitchen. I know I wanted to write um, entering Hecate's temple, but that continues to elude me. I see my books like as spirits. You know, it's mm-hmm. like so. I'm kind of out there. And I exist, but I'm not really ready to come and hang out with you yet, Cindy. Um, Rude. Hecate's Kitchen, I think, just because, like, food and, you know, I love all of that kind of cultural, like, anthropology. Yeah. And understanding, like, what we're – I really like understanding why the ancients did what they did in relation to Hecate. Yeah. You know, as a psychologist, like, I always want to be, like – but why? But why eggs? But why eggs? I, I like that. You know, and, so I'm really, so this, so that obviously that would be a book that would probably take several years mm-hmm. to write. Um, but, you know, it's just so beautiful, like that we know about these Hecate suppers and how yes. different they were from other rituals to other deities at the time. Like yeah. there's so much, there's so much richness to all of what was going on in those kitchens at at those crossroads. (laughs) Oh yeah. Most definitely. Most definitely. Uh, in any book that, that you're going to produce, I will say just becomes my new whoopee. I, when entering Hecate's garden came out, I carried that with me everywhere. I think I've read it six times back to front. I've done the works in them. Uh, I grew my own aconite. Uh, (laughs) uh, Like I just, I just devoured that book and I'm not allowed to devour entering Hecate's cave yet because I think it's happening. It's it's a birthday gift for me, so I'm you need to take your time with that one. Don't worry. I, I I will. And that the reason I really like that book because I, I have thumbed through it because sometimes it's slow in the shop, so I gotta look through it. Uh, <laughs> um, is you have a PhD in psychology? It seems like it is an entire book centered around shadow work, integration, and like a journey to wholeness. And I all all about that i'm all about that there are people out there who are trying to teach and do shadow work things and i'm like you don't have the backing to do that and it stresses me out because i've had to have those conversations where you can't tell someone to stop seeing their therapist or psychiatrist and just do shadow work you can't do that no 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 They, they need to be guided through that and they need to have a support system by someone who knows what is going on and that's true and then that just leads me down the whole road of like fuck unethical practitioners. I want to punch them in the face, um, really, really hard with a 
fish. Um, so <laughs> but you do by being an ethical practitioner. That exactly. is the ultimate slap in the face to these people. Oh, exactly. And it, 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 it is so sad because as someone who reads professionally, I've been reading professionally since I was 16. That was my first job. Um, people will just come and they'll just sit and I'll pull out cards and I'm like, you've been going to see other readers and they've been filling your head with this nonsense around this relationship that's going to be perfect and lovely and this, that, and the other, and you just need to pay them $500 more and they'll make it happen. And I'm going to tell you right now, you just need to let it go. And then no one wants to hear that. And then they come back to me three months later and they're like, you're right. And it's like, well, I'm sorry that I was right. That sucks. But are you going to listen now? So... It can, it can be rough. I, I remember for, for about three years, I didn't read for people because the first thing that happened at the height of the pandemic is someone asked about their relationship. And I was like, people are dying and we're having to lock down entire states. Um, and you want to know about your next relationship. Okay. This makes me have a little bit of a concern for humanity. Um, and then Hecate was like, they need it. I'm like, hey, 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 hey. so anyway, so we have some really great stuff coming up from you. Um, keepingherkeys.com. Is that where everyone can find you? Yep. And I want to say one final thing. Yes. If you're listening to this um, before like kind of that Beltane time of the year, mm -hmm. we're doing a Beltane online full moon retreat. So it's a Hecate's Garden retreat weekend um, coming. I think we start on the astrological Beltane. Like okay. the fifth. I think it's the fourth. And we start, it's May the 5th to 7th. Okay. And um, if people want to be able to join completely for free, all they need to do is uh, write a review somewhere in public on Hecate's garden. And then I have a form that they can find on the Facebook page that they can complete. And then they just sub submit their review and they can get in completely for free. That's awesome. Okay. Awesome. That is on the podcast. Everyone heard that. Go do the things. Um, I will say I, I've been in rituals with Dr. Brandon and Dr. Brandon can lead one heck of a virtual ritual. I, I can say that. And, and I, I was surprised. I was like, okay, virtual ritual. And then it happened and I was like, oh, this is Hecate. So, <laughs> um, so, uh, so yes, go follow that. Go, go do all the things. Uh, obviously, in the podcast description, we will have all the links to uh, keeping her keys and stuff like that. And other than that, thank you so much, Cindy. It has been so lovely. Here's Mike. Yes, he was working yes, with customers. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Cindy. I had to step away for a few moments. I'm so sorry, but um, yeah, but I could hear you guys still talking in here. Uh, so yes. Th thank you so much for giving us your time and yes. for speaking with us today. Um, and yeah, I'm sure you guys already said everything you needed to say, but to our listeners, if you are looking for, I, I would just say even beyond just information on Hecatean practice, um, if you're looking for just in general, just good information on spiritual practice and witchcraft. 100%. Cindy Brannon. Yes. Absolutely. Cindy, yeah. Cindy Brannon is absolutely amazing. So thank you again, Dr. Brannon. And we hope that you have a good rest of your day. Um, and the podcast should be out this evening. So. All right. Thanks again. Thank you. Bye. Oh, and hail Hecate. Yes. Hail Hecate. Hail Hecate.